scripture memory verse tonight, 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Sounds like the same version as mine. I was reading the wrong verse. Uh, yeah. I, you was reading 48, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought was something was going on. Okay, anybody else? 1 Corinthians 15, 49. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Good. Anybody else? We kind of delved into this in our last lesson. We, we covered... 50 through 58 because we wanted to be uh, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord, or knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. We wanted to look at that. And really what we're dealing with is Paul writing the church in Corinth, and he's dealing with the Gnostics or some who say it is the Gnostics, but somebody is telling them that there is no resurrection. Now, if you remember, that was the different, one of the main differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, and the Pharisees did. And he really, uh, I, I have a really hard time. I mean, the whole chapter is about resurrection and his gospel. But, I mean, in verse 12, 15, 12, he said, Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. And we have been found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead do not raise. For if the dead do not raise then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful or pitiable. And so really that goes back to our scripture last week where we're supposed to be steadfast. We're looking to the hope that is in Christ. And, and looking at the fact that he has resurrected. And of course, resurrection means to stand back up again, to get up out of the grave. Or it can mean in, in an analogy, uh, it can have the connotation of a recovery of spiritual truth. And now we know when the truth of God, Jesus himself comes, we're going to have a recovery of spiritual truth if we listen to him. So that's what we want to do is we want to listen to what the truth would say to us. And there are these liars that are saying that resurrection doesn't happen, that we don't stand up again. 
And I like to always point out that even though resurrection has to be preached, resurrection is the evidence of new life. The new life came when he died on the cross. The sword went into his side over here, and the blood and water mixed, and death paid for our sin. The church is burnt. And the proof is that Jesus got up out of the grave, and God raised him from the grave. He justified us through that. And if you look at it, it says that it's futile if he hasn't gotten up, that we're all still dead. Our sins are not forgiven. So I really want to go back over, though, and keep moving. Uh, it's a big chapter, but I don't want to cover it all or or uh, at all try to bring any muddy water or confusion to it. But I think I want to say, let's just start with verse 32, 1532, and we'll move through our scripture a little bit. Um, is that what I wanted to do? Which, by the way, I love this scripture. Yeah, 1532. If, Paul says, if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And, of course, quoting Isaiah 22:13 there. Um, We don't know for sure that he fought actual beasts or if he's talking about the men uh, and, and the things that happened at Ephesus, referring to the fierce opposition. Uh, but you would think if, you know, he was using a word that means actual beast. But I, I, if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts, I, I think that he's fighting against people more than that because uh, I don't see any place in any other scripture that says he fought with an animal so I think he's just talking about the beast that that men can be when they're evil as they are um, and, and he's just saying if, there, if there's no resurrection then we don't have any hope so we might as well eat and drink and be merry and have fun in this life because there's no future hope and then he's just kind of tagging along that other uh, text that he had earlier that we are still in our sins and um, we're pitiful but look what he says here, uh, verse 33, do not be deceived. Now remember, that's what Christ said. Well, when will these things take place, they said to Jesus. And he said, do not be deceived. Listen, this is the, the, the enemy. This is the beast. This is what he wants to do. He wants to deceive us, the spirit of Antichrist, into following the lie into believing the lie well here no resurrection there's plenty of other lies that have been uh, uh, perpetrated on the church and are still being brought up in the church and um, we need to understand that we don't want to be deceived by false doctrine well, how do you escape that well the number one way is surrender your life to Jesus ask the Holy Spirit to teach you and then get in the word prayer and fellowship Learn what God has said, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. You're not going to be deceived if you look at what God is saying he's going to do. He shares this with his friends. He shares this with his children. He's not trying to hide his will from us. He's telling us what he's doing so we don't have to be deceived. Remember, James says, but be doers and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So 
when the Spirit of God is available to teach you the Word of God, and God wants a relationship with you, you're, we're supposed to be betrothed to Him, then getting ready to be married to Him at the banqueting supper of the Lamb, we should know that He wants to equip us, prepare us, and send us as His bride to represent Him, so we should not allow ourselves to be deceived. Now, why is that in the middle here? Because the deceivers are telling them there's no resurrection. So what do we have? Uh, it, it actually is be not deceived. It's be not deceived in the King James. And remember, it's our fun our fun word. I really like it. I think of Plano, Texas. It's planeo. It's planeo me planeo. Because me is in the Greek not. Planeo me planeo. Well, what does that mean, Greg? Well, it means to roam from safety. Listen, truth is safety. The Word of God is our safety. The Spirit of God is leading us into truth. And, and the enemy wants to deceive us and cause us to roam from safety, from truth, from virtue. To go astray, it means, or to deceive us. Or here it is, to, it's to seduce us into following some lie. And, and it's really easy to do because it makes it, it, it's something that pleases our flesh. And we don't have to worry about it. Uh, it means to wander or to be out of the way. Now, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we're out of the way, we're not following close behind. And as I continue to talk about and remind, Romans 8, 14 tells us, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. I really think that it's so important for us to have a, a relationship with the Spirit. That is how God is dealing with His bride right now, is that we're supposed to bear the image, we're going to see in a minute, of the spiritual or the heavenly man, the one who gives he's the, the, the life-giving Spirit. So we need to listen to what the Spirit would say to the church. The Bible testifies to that. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit would say to the church. But what we listen to, we listen to the news. We listen to just the preacher or just to the bestseller of the books that they're writing. We're listening to the fear. We're listening to the lies instead of learning to hear his voice and articulate it and understand what he is saying to the church. Listen to me. It's so easy to listen to some lie because it fits our flesh. But we do not want to be deceived. Who are you listening to? Are you wandering away from truth? Maybe you really are living in let us eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Maybe that really is. See, that's the don't judge me, man. I can do what I want. I have liberty. I can eat and drink and be merry and chase the American dream. I can do what I'm doing because I already said a prayer. I believe in Jesus. And many Christians are living that way even though Paul is playing against it here and saying, that's not it. Don't be deceived. You Don't be deceived and be caused to, to be led away. See, because there's not just the, the Holy Spirit, but there's other deceiving spirits. There's the spirit of Antichrist. There's liars out there that would want you to follow them so that they can get rich. And they think they're just getting rich, but they're really, they're, they're pawns or useful idiots for the devil or the spirit of Antichrist. So we have to be careful because there's a lot of things that look like it's true, uh, but it is a lie. 
and it will lead you to the wrong place and take you out of the way. So what does he say? Do not be deceived. Planeo me planeo. Evil company corrupts good habits. Listen, listen to me because this is really important. See, they're hanging out with, fellowshipping with people that are Gnostics and liars and they're sitting down and they're saying things that are not true. So he's saying to them that their evil company is corrupting them. That they had good habits when he left. When he left the church planted there, things were going good. But now they're sitting down in their fellowship. And this is the problem we see in the church today where people are saying, well, I can go hang out with them. I'm just having fellowship. We're just having fun. And I'm just doing this. No, you are there for the wrong reason. You're not there to share the gospel and go and make disciples and to share truth so that people will come to salvation. You're there to have fun. And that evil company will corrupt your good habits that God has been developing in you. The peer pressure will cause you to bow down to what they're doing instead of lift them up to what you're supposed to be doing. Now, it's important that we understand that some of these words are a little bit different than what you might think. Evil, evil means worthless. And, and it's really talking about worthless as in the sense of intrinsic, not intrinsically. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, intrinsically. Uh, uh, because there's two words for wicked in the Bible. One is like, um, that is wicked. Like you're calling something wicked. But then there's the wicked intrinsically where it's your character and your nature. And it's who you are because you're a spirit of deception or you're not giving your life to Christ. So intrinsically, you are evil. And so you, you have to come to salvation not to be evil because it's against God. And this that's what this means here. Intrinsically, they are worthless. And he's saying this kind of company will corrupt good habits. And it, but it, it means a little bit more than what you might think. And let me just keep moving. Uh, it's depraved. It's bad. It's evil. It's wicked intrinsically. And, and, and it's evil, listen, communications. I know it's translated in the New King James company, but to me, that's a bad translation. Listen, it's a bad translation because that makes it sound like it's just somebody you're keeping company with that you're just sitting down with, you're just fellowshipping with. And it's so much broader than that. This is evil communications. So you might be sitting at home alone by yourself, but you're listening to a medium, to a channel, to something that's communicating a lie to you that's evil, and it's not about Jesus. It's not about the truth of the Word of God. And so that communication is how we are being programmed and indoctrinated in America, in the world today, with our telephones, with everything. We have these mediums, we have these other voices, we have music, we have books, we have magazines, we have all of these different things that spirits are using to speak and communicate to you. But the word for company, or it's actually translated communication in the King James, it means companionship. But by implication, it means intercourse. See, this is back to this word that we have that is intercourse. And this is the first usage 
And it's actually the only usage of this word this way in the New Testament. It's talking about social intercourse where you're communicating and you're listening to that voice. And really in the spiritual realm, that's what happened with Eve in the garden. She was communicating and listening to the devil speak to her and, 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 and say, did God really say? And tempt her into bearing fruit of death. And that's what happened because what voice you're listening to and getting your counsel from, keeping company with or communicating with where you're getting your counsel, that's what you're going to bear fruit of because you're listening to that counsel. And that's why the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That word is gnoskos. There's a social, or excuse me, there's a spiritual intercourse of communication going on where we've said, I want to hear God's voice. Everything has to be through the word of God. We have to compare it to what has God said. We take that thought captive. We take that communication captive. We take that idea captive. We take that earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom captive to what? The obedience of Christ. Does it line up with what God has said in his truth? Or is it leading me away another way? And this, this takes a death to self. And that's what he's going to go into here. Is that, I mean, actually, he actually had said it in 31. I die daily. Because you have to die daily or you'll listen to the communication of this world. And look at all the mediums they have now. Look at all the channels they have now. Look at all the ways they have now to indoctrinate us into the lie. Not to mention just peer pressure, not to mention just on our jobs, not to mention those things, but just referring to even, even the next bestseller in Christendom. The next the books, the, the music, all of it is leading us astray from the truth of the Word of God. And people would go, Well, Greg, why do you want to pick on that song? That's just a song. They're just using some artistic ability and they're making a song where they're singing about God and they use a little licensing and they twist some stuff. No, you're twisting the truth and it's being sung to you or you're singing it and you're communicating and having a relationship with that, keeping company with it and you're not taking it captive. And if it's a lie, it's leading you astray because it's framing your mindset or your worldview or your spiritual realm view is what we really should be talking about. Because when you turn on the radio or you listen to some of these pundits, they're talking about the worldview, whether it's creationism or whether it's a worldview of evolution. Listen, it's a spiritual truth view. It's not a worldview. It's my spiritual truth view. Do I view the truth of God as the only truth? Do I true, or view the wisdom of God as the only wisdom other than the earthly, central, demonic wisdom that's there to planeo me and deceive me and lead me in another direction? It's so important that we learn to understand who the Spirit of God is, what He's doing in our life. He's leading us to show us everything about Jesus, and then we cast out these lies and we walk in truth. We live in truth. And it does take, I die daily. I get up daily and I spend time with the Lord. I spend time in the Word. And my whole purpose of going out into the world is to make disciples. Is to, is to go and make disciples. Well, how do you do that? You first declare the truth of the gospel and they come to salvation if the Holy Spirit is working in them. 
believe me, you're not going to disciple anybody unless they have the Spirit of God. They're not going to have the Spirit of God unless they hear from the beautiful feet that bring the gospel of peace. And then they have to agree and believe in it and then repent. And that's a daily thing where you and I are supposed to be repenting or we're going to be deceived. So workless communication, listen, let's say it that way. Greg, that's a, that's a Greg translation, but it comes from what the word means in Greek. Workless communication is going to destroy or corrupt your good habits your good morals, your good way of living. But let's, let's just keep looking real quick. So it's, it's, it's workless companionship or communication. Having intercourse with liars will bear fruit of death. That's all it's saying. You're either listening to the truth, Jesus, or everything else, earthly, sensual, demonic, it's a lie. And you're going to bear fruit in the end of what that is, who you've been sleeping with. And as the bride of Christ, we're supposed to sleep with Jesus. Now think about it. In the physical realm, we have intercourse. We're supposed to bear children and train them. In the, in the spiritual realm, we're having social intercourse. We're listening to truth. We're believing in it. We're trusting it. It bears fruit. And we keep being trained by God how to be the bride of Christ and be a witness for Christ and live and walk out this life for Christ as he sanctifies and cleanses us with the washing of the water through the word. So listen to me. Be very careful what you're letting communicate, what voices you're listening to, because there's a lot of liars out there that don't want to, and they may have a good heart in a certain way where they don't want to offend you, but the gospel itself is offensive. Don't get me wrong. The goodness of God brings men to repentance. But it's offensive in the sense that it's dogmatic. It's going to step on your heart. It's going to step on you and, and get you to have to deny, to deny self, to die, and to follow it. So in that sense, it's dogmatic and it's offensive. So when you meet the word of God, if your heart is right, it's goodness of God because he's opening your eyes and leading you in the way you're supposed to go. But if you're not opening your heart to God, then that's just dogmatic. That's wrong. That's racist. That, I don't want to hear that. And they walk away from it. They don't, they don't want to hear it because they're not being conformed into his image. They're actually wanting to walk in the flesh and live in the flesh. So he says here, let's finish it, corrupt Corrupt is a good word. It means to shrivel, to wither, to spoil, to ruin by moral influences, to deprave, to defile. It's a first usage also and the only usage of this word. Uh, corrupt. No, it's not. I'm sorry. The first usage is actually in 317. 1 Corinthians 317. Let's look at that. It's about being the temple of God. I didn't want to do all the first usages today because it would kind of hold us back from hearing what we were hearing. Uh, so 317 says this. If anyone defiles, corrupts the temple of God, God will destroy, corrupt him. For the temple of God is holy 
which temple ye are. See, we're in the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in us now if we believe in Jesus. And so we're supposed to be paying attention and asking the Holy Spirit to lead us and to, and to and not allow us to be deceived. At the same time, we're supposed to be making decisions not to have evil communications, worthless communications, because what happens? It's sowing lies into your truth. Oh, I, I just watching it. I'm just listening to this music. I, I, I just listen to the music. I'm not listening to the words. Well, the enemy is sowing corrupt things into your heart while you're just listening to the music. The enemy is sowing corrupt things into your heart while you're just watching the movie and there's all of this craziness going on in it that is evil. So I know we can't go out of the world, and I do know, and I, I, I'm not giving people permission to sin, I do know that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. So it helps to have your eyes open and to choose your own choices, what you're going to listen to, hear, or follow. And I would encourage you to be very careful with any of the mediums. Why are they called mediums? The media, the mediums, the television, the radio, the music, any of them, the books, you know, they tell you what is good even. Oh, this is a bestseller. They tell you what is good. They they tell you on the news. I, I get so, I look at my wife's phone. I still have it. And uh, uh, I forget what it is, Apple News or something. And it's like, uh, this is going on. And here's what you need to know. No, I you don't tell me what I need to know. I mean, and it might be a figure of speech they're thinking, but they're telling you which way to go. They're telling you what you need to know. And, and it's the same thing on all your newspapers. I was looking at a newspaper today, and you've got this, this chaos going on. It's supposed to be a local newspaper, but the front page is about murders in another town. It's supposed to be a local newspaper, and the front page is about LGBT stuff in another state. You know, this is supposed to be a local newspaper, but what it's really doing is indoctrinating people in the fear-mongering of what's going on. You know? And I have to be careful. I'm not trying to get into that right now, but what kind of communication is destroying your good habits? Or are you having healthy communication, talking about the Bible, spending time in fellowship, trying to find out what the will of the Lord is, Always be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're about the Father's business in your life. Praying for others. You know, because our it, it, it just destroys, corrupts, shrivels, spoils. It ruins our morals. It causes us to be defiled or depraved. And we see in the first usage, listen, this word uh, in biblical usage, listen, it means to lead away a Christian church from that state of knowledge and holiness of which it ought to be abiding in. That's what that word corrupt means in biblical usage when you look into uh, the Blue Letter Bible. It's a leading away, and that's what we're worried about, not being planeo, planeo. We don't want to be led away from the way and think that it's okay to go do these things. Now, with the Jewish nation, they had the opinion, because we talked about the temple first usage, the temple was corrupt or destroyed when anyone defiled or in the slightest degree damaged anything in it or its guardians neglected their duties. Listen, 
Think about that now when we are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in us. And if we neglect our temple duties of taking care of it, being in the word, prayer, and fellowship, asking the Holy Spirit to lead us and help us, then we are being deceived. And it's being destroyed by our own neglect. So it's self-deception because we're neglecting to find out what the truth of the word of God is. And that's what he says next. He says, arise. Well, your good habits. I don't want to leave that out, do I? Nope, I don't want to leave it out. I don't want to leave it out. So good means uh, useful. It means kind. It means gracious. It means goodness. And, and listen, habits is actually the word manners. Listen, manners. Now listen, we're not talking about worldly manners. I see people all the time, they don't know anything about the Word of God. They say they're a Christian, and they've been taught in the world and by their parents to have good manners. So they say, yes, sir, no, sir, thank you. They know how to sit at a table. They know how to eat with a hand in the lap. But it's got nothing to do with good morals spiritually because you cannot know the spiritual morality of life without knowing the Word of God. You have to know who Jesus is and what He requires of you, old man, in order to have morality in the spiritual realm. So there's a lot of people that think that they're a good Christian and all they have is good physical manners, but their manners and habits spiritually are dead. There's no spirit to them because they've been trained only in a religious practice in the body of Christ. But do they have a relationship with the Spirit of God and the Word of God? And are they listening to the communication of what the Spirit would say to the church today? Once again, I will tell you, there's other spirits out there. So you have to make sure what you're hearing from the Spirit lines up with the Word of God. It lines up with what God has always done because He never changes He's always doing the same thing. He's separating a holy nation of priests to himself. And they become his family because he's the uh, priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And he's separating this whole family of priests to himself. He started it in the Old Testament. And what did they do? They rose up to play and they sinned against him before they ever got started. And he killed 3,000 of them. In Acts, when he continued what he was doing after Jesus ascended at the church in chapter 2, 3,000 people were saved. And we see that he begins to separate believer priests to himself who are supposed to serve others and be his family because we're a family of priests. We're a family of servants. We're a family of people who would communicate good spiritual moral truth to each other and to a dead and dying world. And that's the only way they're going to come to salvation. So what are be, what type of spiritual truth, see, because that's where it really ends up at, isn't it? We say, oh, well, we want, to, we want to win the world, so let's take all of our Christian music and let's stop saying Jesus in them. And that, there's, so see that corruption, that communication breakdown? Now there's a corruption in the songs and the message that we want to give. And we've hidden our light underneath the peck bush. And then we say, well, let's do it in the books. Let's do it in our churches. Let's do it on our websites. Let's don't just put Jesus all over them and, and, and turn them off instantly. 
And we begin to become religious and make up our own way to reach people instead of just going and sharing the gospel like Jesus told us to do. Go and make disciples. How? By teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And, you know, if people don't want to hear the truth, what did they tell them to do? They dusted their feet off. If they don't receive you, you just dust your shoes off. It doesn't mean they won't receive somebody else later, but you don't try to hide now. Let's just hide. Let's see if we can corrupt our moral, spiritual truth by listening to some other communication, some other plan. Be very careful what you do. What he says here in 34 is, is awake to righteousness and do not sin. So he says this is sin when you're communicating and listening to other things. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now he's speaking to the church at Corinth, but he speaks it to anybody who would do this. And they would not listen to what the Spirit says. And they're not awake, just as Christ says in, or excuse me, uh, as Paul says to the church in Ephesus. Where does he say that? Is it chapter 4? Chapter 5, 14. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And then he says, finding out what the will of the Lord is. Listen, this is what he's saying to us. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Awake means to rouse oneself out of a stupor. To return to oneself from drunkenness. To be sober. See, because when we listen to the communication of the world or, uh, uh, or, or a spirit that's different, that's teaching a lie and not the truth of God's word, it, it, it kind of lulls us to sleep. It kind of makes us drunk, like we're a little bit drunk in the spirit instead of doing what we should be doing with clear, concise uh, leading of the Holy Spirit. So he says, awake to righteousness, or awake to just. It means just to just or right living before God. And it means agreeably to right. Isn't that interesting? Be agreeably to the right thing to do. And the first usage of this word righteousness is actually over in, means to be agreeable to the law. The first usage is actually in Luke 23, 41. Let's go look and see what that is. Luke 23, 41 is the first usage of this word righteousness. And it's interesting. Um, this is Jesus hanging on the cross. The first usage of this word righteousness is with these two criminals that are hanging on where two or three are gathered. There I am in the midst. He's in the middle of them. Uh, then one of the criminals who would, were hanged, this is verse 39, blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation and here's the word in 41 and we indeed justly that's it right there for we received the due reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong it's the word justly there and that's what he's saying here awake to what is justly what is right what is agreeable to God what is agreeable to what is right under the law 
according to what God has already said. Now, it's been translated righteousness, which means right living before God. So I'm okay with that. But he's saying here in this first usage that they justly got killed. They justly are crucified. They justly were convicted of death. And that's where we need to be in our lives, justly realizing uh, that the wages of sin is death. Awake to justice and do not sin. What is just and right? What is the right living before God? For some do not have the agnosia. So only time it's used, agnosia. See, I thought it was agnostic, which is the word for intimacy, which is related to that word. It comes from that word. Uh, it actually comes from both words, ah, abba, or gnosis, from agnosis, but it's agnosia. Some do not have the agnosia, and it means ignorance, the knowledge of God. They were ignorant. See, some people think ignorance is a bad word, but Paul's going to say over in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Ignorance means unlearned, not knowing. And that's what this is talking about. Some do not know, and we're supposed to awake and learn it. Um, and he speaks this to their shame, their confusion, because they're, it's the word entropy. Isn't that the first law of thermodynamics, entropy, something like that? It's, it means it's dying. It, it, it's something that is dying. Because that's what's going to happen. If we don't awake to the knowledge of God, that's how we grow in the grace and the knowledge. That's how we grow in intimacy is in the communication, hearing the voice of God, knowing the word of God. Listen, I know there's lots of people out there that say that they believe in Jesus, but the demons do and they tremble. They say they love God, but they don't know his word. They're not having intimacy. They're not hearing communication from God, except on Sunday when somebody just relays what the Word of God means, and they're not correcting or checking or making sure that the Word is being communicated properly. It just sounds like a good oration, and that can be a false, deceptive oration, even if the person means to do right. So he says, I speak this to your shame. And then he goes on, and he's referring to rhetorically, Verse 35, but someone will say, speaking, I think, of the Gnostics that are there, the ones that are deceiving them and leading them away, how are the dead raised, which is a good question, and with what body do they come, which is also an equally good question. Did I tell you that the Gnostics were just people that thought they had special knowledge? And they followed Paul around trying to destroy. They, they were trying to destroy everything that he was um, doing in building churches. Um, they didn't believe that. They didn't even believe that Jesus had a literal body. They believed he was just a spirit. He wasn't in body. And that's why you see John and, and several of the, uh, 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 the witnesses or the apostles. They're telling that that which we have touched, we have held concerning the word of life. They want you to know that, yes, he was a man, 100% man. He took flesh because that has to be there. If he wasn't a man, then he wasn't born of a virgin. 
you know, all those things attack it. And that's what this special knowledge of these Gnostics uh, would do, would attack everything. So somebody could ask this question, how are the dead raised and with what body do they come? And look what Paul says, because you're supposed to be nice, foolish one. The person who would ask that, he says, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Pay attention, because we studied this in John, because Jesus fell to the ground. He died, was buried in the ground, and he bore much grain. And we're back to this. So you have to die first. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God, who does? God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Now listen to this, because it's really interesting when you think about it. Because if you plant... Uh, an apple seed. It doesn't grow a big apple seed. It grows an apple. If you plant an orange seed, it doesn't grow a big orange seed. You see, it's got a different body when it's grown and it's and it's and it is uh, ripe. And it's the same thing that's going to happen with you and me. We are flesh, and if we die, literally or spiritually, both will produce fruit. And that fruit will look, look different than the physical. And that's why you can tell the evidence of somebody who's dying to self, dying to their own desires, dying to what they're supposed to do in the flesh, and they're alive to Christ because their body and everything that they do begins to take on a different appearance. It begins to change. It becomes godly or spiritual and not physical. It's not about them. It's about Christ. And he's, talk, he's going to talk the same way about the resurrection from the dead. And Jesus got back up, and they didn't really recognize him, remember? He's walking with them on the road to Emmaus. He, he's he's on, the, on the banks there cooking for them in John 21. And they don't recognize him because he looks just enough different than the body that he was buried with. When he got up, he had a different glorified body, although the same. And they couldn't recognize him, though, fully. Think about it for a minute, because even with an apple, an apple seed, you put it in the ground, it grows an apple tree, that apple tree grows apples, but then inside of it is a seed that you can still replenish and do the same thing and keep multiplying. And this is what we're doing with discipleship. This is why we're going and teaching. And so when you try to come up with a different body and say there is no resurrection, you come up with a different gospel, what you're trying to do is plant something that's dead, and it's only going to produce death. It's not going to produce a like kind because you're not planting a kind that's right. Anyway, I don't want to go too far into this, uh, but notice that God gives it the body. So I can't tell you exactly what my body's going to look like when it's resurrected. I can't tell you exactly what God's going to give me, what my gifting, talents, and abilities, until, I, until he gives them to me. But we know that God will provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Because Christ is first fruits. Christ is the one that died first and come up out of the ground. And then what did he do with Thomas? Put your fingers in my side. His body still had the scars on it. But they didn't really recognize who he was. But they could recognize the scars. 
They could recognize the death he took. They could recognize the crucifixion in his hands. They could recognize that, but they couldn't see him clearly. Either they couldn't see him or they, he didn't look the same. Well, they had physical eyes, so if he looked the same, they would have been able to tell, but they couldn't tell purposefully because the glorified body was different but it still had the scars but it was only a little different where they were unsure of whether it was him or not now i'm not telling you just because his glorified body passed through walls just and, and i've heard so many pastors say it but i don't have any proof in the scriptures that my glorified body is going to do the same things that jesus is did i just don't have any because here's what it is is like right now and we're i'm getting way ahead of myself because of your question but Right now, I have a physical body that's made for this physical earthly. Just if I board the earthly man, I'm, good, I'm made of dust right now. And I have a body that fits this environment. Now, for whatever environment I'm going to be in, in the resurrection, with Christ, he'll give me a body that will have everything I need for that area. Just like if I wish to go into the ocean and want to go scuba diving and go down in the water, I would need that gear. I would need equipment to go down there. So my body in the resurrection, my glorified body will have everything I need to do, all of the things that I need to do for God. Just like right now, the body of Christ has everything it needs to do the work of the ministry, except for people to willingly choose to die daily, except for people to free will say, okay, I'm coming underneath God's authority. I want to hear his voice. I want to be led by the spirit. They have everything, all the parts are there, but the willingness is not there because we are being led by other voices. Evil communication is directing our habits instead of the voice of God. And when the church begins to listen to the Spirit of God, then you're going to see a great awakening in lives where people will hear and change and live for God and want to testify of God. So he's just saying that it has to die if you put a seed in the ground, it goes through germination. And then if you put a tomato seed in it, it doesn't look like that big red tomato. Right? But when it grows, it does because of God giving it that body. So God's going to give us a body once we die. He'll give us the spiritual body of Christ. He'll give us a physical body when we resurrect. So let's keep moving. He says, 37, what you sow, uh, that body shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain but God gives it a body as he pleases uh, and to each seed its own body now then he goes on to give us some examples all flesh or uh, all the bodies all flesh is not the same flesh there's a there, there's a one kind of flesh of men we see that animals are different than men there's fish fish are different than men fish are different than other animals fish are different than birds another body is a bird body so all these are different bodies, all different kinds of flesh. Are you guys getting that? But look at the creation of God, how he made different bodies. He's able to give us, what his point is, is he's able to give us a proper body for wherever we're at. And that God has different bodies. And then he's going to go on to say that there, in 40, there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. You know what's really important or what's really funny? Celestial is heavenly. Same word for heavenly over here in our text. Terrestrial is earthly. Same word for the dust over here in our text. They're the same words. So there's a spiritual body and there's a physical body. 
That's what he's talking about here. But there's also angelic bodies. But he gave them exactly what they needed. Some of them you see with six wings. And they need those for what they're doing for him. I don't know what they're doing sometimes, but he does. And he's capable of giving everybody the resurrected body as he wants you to have it. That's the whole point here is that he's going to resurrect us. Whether it's in the dead in Christ, what you say in uh, uh, 4.13. Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 4.13, is that right? 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Let's look. I'm getting way ahead of myself. You guys need to quit asking me questions. Oh, you didn't say nothing, did you? 4.13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. See, we know there's a resurrection. We know that there's a rapture. We know that Christ is coming for the church. We know that dying in this physical dust, flesh, Dirt, the clay that God breathed into is not the end of it all. If we know Jesus, we know that we're going to go to heaven. We know if we don't know Jesus, we're going to go to hell and, 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 and be in eternal torment. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, see the resurrection? He died, he was in the ground, and he rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Those that are in the grave, they died. For, if we, for this we say to you, by the word of the Lord. In other words, the Lord said this sometime to them. It's the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, those who are asleep. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo, the Latin Vulgate, harpazo, snatched away, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Listen, we're supposed to be encouraging and comforting one another, knowing that this body aching, this body hurting, this body in pain, this body dying, if this earthly tent wears out, we know it's not the end of it all. We have a heavenly hope. This is not the end. We're supposed to rejoice when somebody crosses the finish line. And actually, the, the preacher Solomon says, we're supposed to rejoice when someone dies and we're mourning when somebody is born because they have to still go through life. And that's kind of hard in all yeah. the things that go on in life. But when somebody dies... Especially when they know Jesus, we should be rejoicing. They don't have to go through any more of this pain and suffering and heartache. They're going to already have put on incorruption. And that means it's never going to die again. It's never going to cry. It's never going to be in pain. It's never going to be in shame. It's never going to sin. It's never going to be have a nature of sin. That's the incorruptible body. That's amazing. But we're still down here struggling and fighting with all of this. Where am I at? You guys got me all the way excited oh that's the word of god so he says in 40 1540 corinthians there's celestial bodies that's everything above in the heavenlies there's terrestrials that's everything that's here on the earth but the glory of the celestial is one so it has a glory to it the angels do christ does the glory of the terrestrial is another so there's something there's good down here for this moment although nothing good dwells in the flesh 
There is one glory of the sun. Look, the sun was made by God. That's a body is what he's telling us. It, it's part of uh, uh, the, 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 the celestial in the, in, the, in the first heaven, the sky there. Oh, actually, that's, the first heaven is the sky that we see. So you'd have the birds and stuff. The second heaven is the, the stars and the sun and the moon. The third heaven is God's throne room where the celestial would be. Uh, so the, the sun has a glory. Another glory of the moon because they're made for two different purposes with two different bodies. One has a greater light to make the day. The other has a lesser light to light the night. Another glory of the stars. Think about that for a minute. Each one of them, God knows those stars and put them in place. And the star differs from another star in glory. Each one is different. Isn't that amazing? No two stars, no two snowflakes, no two... We had we was looking at snowflakes the other day. They're in the shape of a star, even when they come down and they land. That's amazing to me how God made these bodies like that. How God has created these things and designed them and crafted them and spoke them into existence. And He can take care of our resurrected bodies. That's the whole point here. And there is going to be a resurrection because Jesus rose. We will raise. Oh, here we go. 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. In other words, it's corrupt. Wages of sin is death. It's, it's, it's hurt. It's broken. It's sick. In fact, whatever you were sick of last, that's what you die of. Whatever you're sick of last. Whatever corrupted your body because of sin in this world. It is raised in incorruption. When we get up, when we get our new bodies, we're talking about this on Sunday in John 14. Our new mansions, our new bodies in heaven. Listen, our new dwelling places for our spirit. It's not going to cry anymore. No more pain, no more suffering, no more weakness, no more sin nature. It's not going to have any of those things that limit us down here. It's going to have everything it needs for up there. Or even... I guess, for the thousand-year millennial reign, which will be down here. It is sown in dishonor, sin, raised in glory, a glorified body, because uh, uh, when we see him, we're going to be just like him in our positional place of sinlessness. It is sown in weakness and raised in power. Think about that, how weak we are, how frail we are. But new body will have power it is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body natural being fleshly of the dust spiritual being heavenly there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body 45 as it is written notice where he goes to get his information from he's not making this stuff up and just going out of nowhere but he goes back to genesis to give you a scripture it is written genesis 2 7 the first man adam became a living being why because god breathed he took the dirt the dust the clay and he breathed into his nostrils and the first man adam became a living being because of the breath of God, right? The last Adam, speaking of Christ, a life-giving spirit. The word became is in it is in italic, so it's not really there. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Speaking of Christ, he's a life-giving spirit. 
So what does he do? We were dead in our trespasses because Adam and Eve had had, had uh, um, corrupt communication with the devil and listened, and they inherited a sin nature from the devil. They they they, they corrupted and died. Because they had intimacy with the devil and listened to his communication that God was holding out on them. Right? So therefore, the second Adam, Christ, had to come and give us life again. We're born again. He gives us life again because we were born dead. And he revives us by breathing in us again. He becomes a life-giving spirit. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead... You shall be saved. Why? Because he's a life-giving spirit. Because there's life in him. His father gave him that, that he could give life to all that the father gave him. But you have to listen to him and believe in him and trust him. However, 46, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. So we're all born in sin. We're all confined to one place. None righteous, no, not one. All of us are under the wages of sin is death. We're born dead because we're born of the dust. And then we believe in Jesus because the Spirit comes and knocks on our door, convicts us of sin and judgment and righteousness. Uh, and, and then we receive the Spirit. We believe and repent. We change our mind. Uh, and then we can become spiritual. But listen, that's positional because we haven't got that yet. We haven't got that body yet. He's talking about a body. Yes. Okay. God is spiritual, right? God is a spirit. Right. So when we all go to heaven, is God going to have a body then? No, God's a spirit. Hmm. Jesus will have a body. See, there's God who is a spirit. And in his wisdom, he made three persons that make up him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father had a plan and sent His Son to die for us so that we could receive the Spirit, the life-giving Spirit, and come back to Him into His family. You don't have to understand it. Because God's ways are higher than our ways. If we think we understand it, we might have a problem when God's ways are so much higher than our ways. What we have to do is accept it and believe it that God is wise enough to do that and be able to give us a body. That's the context of this text, is that he can give a body to an orange. He can give a body to a bird. He can give a body to a man. Then he knows how to speak and give a body to a resurrected spirit because he's already planned it anyway. It's already, it's already what he's doing. That's the end of it, where we're glorified. The seed comes and is planted in death. And when we die, we grow. And we get our new body because we die. If we don't die, like what he said, foolish one, verse 36, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. People come to Jesus every day, but they don't die. So they're not really made alive. They don't really know the life-giving spirit. They don't really have the knowledge of Jesus in their heart unless they die. That's what's wrong with the false apostate church. They also, oh, I believe in Jesus. I said that prayer. No, you didn't die. You didn't repent of your earthly nature and die to what you want to do. So there's no way you have life. There's no way. Without death, there's no life. What about 
the rapture when you're just taken up. That's what, die. that's what we're talking about. Yes, you do. Your earthly body dies instantly, and you get a new spiritual body on in a twinkling of an eye on the way up. God knows how to do it. He says that he says that over here. We covered that last week when you weren't here. I sent it, I sent it to you. You didn't listen to it. He says it in a twinkling of an eye. The corruptible has to put on incorruptible. That's when he's taking us up. That body will die and it will get a new body. We just read it in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians. There's going to be some that are already dead and they'll get a new body, but then those who are alive and remain, they get their new body on the way up in the twinkling of an eye. We all get new bodies because we have a new dwelling place in heaven that Christ is making for us right now. John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not, and that means many dwelling places. Right now, your spirit's in a dwelling place that God gave you. An earthly body made of dust. It's made to wear out. It's an earthly tent. It's not a permanent dwelling place. But in his Father's house, for all of the bride, there are permanent dwelling places where we will live for eternity, waiting for the resurrection of the of the good and the and the bad. So let's keep moving here. Where are we at? 46. Not the spirituals, not first, but the natural is then the spiritual. 47. The first man was of the earth, of the clay, the red dirt, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. So he makes sure you know that where the second one comes from. He's saying he's kurios, the Lord from heaven. He came down. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. All of us, all none righteous, no, not one, we're all made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Again, that's the word celestial. The, uh, the, the dust is terrestrial. It's interesting how they use those words, though, and they use them interchangeably. Why didn't they use that in both places? It's really interesting to me why they don't. I don't know why the translators didn't, because they're the same thing when you look them up in the Greek. They're the exact same words. Um, and 49, our memory verse, right? As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now let's look at, think about uh, what's going on here. Because have born is uh, phoreo. It's the word phoreo. Right? And it means to have a burden. To have a burden. Or listen, by analogy it means to wear as clothing or a constant accompaniment. See, because we're being further clothed. The, the body groaning and the earth groaning, everything's groaning for redemption. Not, not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, Paul talked about. We want to be further clothed. Listen, so many people think, oh, I'm already finished. No, we need to be further clothed. We need to be more sanctified and we're being washed and purified and being clothed, being adorned as a bride, being made ready for him when he comes. So we're being further clothed with our heavenly body. 
So listen to me, it needs to be uh, uh, to wear as clothing have borne to put on the clothing of Christ. Just as we put on the clothing of Adam, we received an inheritance from him and it's death. This life-giving spirit, when we believe in him, he's going to put on and we're going to be reborn in Christ and put on that clothing. Uh, the first usage is in Matthew eleven eight. Let's look at that. I want to look at that one. I'm not going to look at a bunch of them, but there's some of them I want to look at that kind of helps us. It's really interesting. We have born 11.8. Talking about John the Baptist is what he's talking about. Um, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Talking about what he was clothed in. Now, what was what was John clothed in? Camel. Huh? Camel hair. Camel hair. Uh, he had he had on uh, animal skins, locusts and honey hanging. But he was he was he was being clothed, and this is the word that we want to understand. This was his. But he was obeying God. He was clothed in what he was supposed to be clothed in, doing what God told him to do. He was kept separated from the communication of the false teachers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He was kept separate. Now, Paul contrasts. Paul was right in the middle of them. John the Baptist was kept separate. John announces Jesus coming, and then Paul comes out of them and gets saved and continues to preach this Christ. It's pretty amazing when you watch. And they both end up clothed when they died with the heavenly man because they obeyed what God told them to do. It wasn't because they just said a prayer. It was because they were being further clothed. It was because they were obeying. It was because they were not being deceived. Even when John was getting ready to be deceived, he said, he sent some of his guys, go ask him if he's the one. And he was encouraged by Christ. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking. And blessed is he who is not ashamed of me. And so he dies in prison with his head cut off. But he dies resting and happy, I believe, because he believed the messengers. So we're going to be clothed, uh, or we are clothed, I should say, in this physical, this corruptible body. But right now in a spiritual realm, we've been born again. So we're being clothed and he's building a house. He's making it ready for us in heaven. John 14, that's what he said. Many dwelling places. And just as we have borne the image, the icon, it's the icon. You know, an icon on your computer, on your phone now, because nobody uses a home computer anymore, do they? Some people do, but I'm just saying it's usually a laptop or a phone now or an iPad. But that icon you click on, that's what that is. It's an icon that shows you a bigger, it shows you a likeness of something. But then when you click on it, you get the profile, the representation. You get to, an icon is a resemblance or an image of something. So he says, just as you have uh, uh, been clothed in death, clothed according to Adam, the man of dust, in the image of the man of dust, of course, dust is earthy or terrestrial, soil-like, made of the earth. 
It was used there in 47. It's used in 48, and the last usage is here in 49. Let us also bear, or you shall also bear, it's actually phoreo uh, uh, kai phoreo. Phoreo kai phoreo. Shall also bear is what the words are in the Greek when I looked it up. Um, you're also going to bear what? The heavenly man. The image, the icon of the heavenly man, the celestial man of Christ. We're going to bear that image the same way. So now we go, well, then if God says it and I believe him, I have already borne the image of this man. But if I listen and obey and believe him, I know that because of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, I'm also going to bear the image of Christ in my life. That's what he's saying to us. The celestial above the sky. 1835 is first usage. You might know what that is. It's when they're trying in the week of questioning, Matthew 1835. It's the week of questioning and they're trying to deceive Jesus. And they bring a coin to him and they say, whose inscription is this? Uh, should we pay taxes? Uh, 1835. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, well, show me a coin. What did I say? Matthew. 1835. Is that what I said? That, that ain't it. That ain't it at all. Where did I get, where did I, oh, that was the image. I'm sorry. Go back to image. Let's look at image. The likeness is Matthew 22, 20. Go to 22.20. I wanted you to see that. I apologize. I left that out. And I was waiting to get to it. I was even excited about it. It's the image. 22.20. Then we'll do the one for heavenly. It's just talking about his heavenly father. Uh, is the one in 18. But remember that text where they say, should we pay taxes? Uh, it's in 18, 15 through 17. 17 says, tell us therefore what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness, 18, and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? He called them hypocrites. Show me your tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, whose image, right? There's the first usage of image. Whose likeness, who's the icon or inscription is this? And they said to him, that's Caesar's. And he said, well, render therefore to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God's the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So listen to me. Who's the image that's on your life? This is what we need to understand. We, we bore the image of the man of dust. We come to salvation. And the point is, is becoming more like the image of the heavenly man. We're going to also bear it, and we're supposed to be, as with the dowry money, the down payment of the Holy Spirit, allowing the Spirit to wash and cleanse us and make us into His image, just like two spouses when they begin to act alike and talk alike and look alike. That's what happens in marriage. And whatever we're married to, whatever voice we're listening to, is the mind that we're putting on. 
And if we're listening to the liars of this world with their earthly, sinful, demonic communication, if we're listening to their company, then we're, we're being deceived. And we're, we're thinking that we're living for Jesus, but we're still listening to the liar, to the devil, and we're not listening to what Christ is saying. And so we're not putting on the image of the heavenly man. We still have Caesar's image on us. We're still chasing everything that the spirit of Antichrist would want us to chase, just like Eve was deceived in the garden. And just like Paul would say to the church in Galatia, what, who has bewitched you that you would keep putting on the same image and think you're okay? Look around at the church. They're still living like they're unsaved, but they say they're saved. They're still chasing everything that is earthly instead of heavenly. Jesus said, let this mind be, or Paul said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to put on the mind of Christ. We're supposed to look up, what's Colossians 3? Colossians 3, if you have been raised, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are earthly. Not on things that are dead. Not on things that are of Adam. But set your mind on things that are Christ-like and heavenly. Where our citizenship is at, we're told over in Philippians. That's where our citizenship is at. Yet the Christian is down here still setting their minds upon earthly things. The only thing we should be setting our mind on is heavenly things. And what's heavenly things? Doing the will of God. The ministry of reconciliation of souls. Because one day we are going to completely bear the image of the heavenly man. When we see him face to face, we're going to be like him. And he, and he actually says here in 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. See, we're being sanctified and cleansed, spirit, soul, and body, fleshly body, beating it into subjection, obeying the spirit, following the spirit, following the heavenly man. But in a twinkling of an eye, he's going to go on to say, we're going to be changed because that flesh and blood can't go to heaven. You get a new body, a new dwelling place where your spirit will dwell in heaven. And that's why we're supposed to be rejoicing and we're supposed to be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. So just as we bore the image, that's a past tense. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shouldn't be doing that anymore. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. That's your memory verse. That's what we need to understand and God is capable of giving us that resurrected body. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to panic over it. We, we should be rejoicing and celebrating when people die. But boy, it hurts in the, in the earthly man, doesn't it? It hurts in our emotions. It even hurts when they're sick and we see them sick. But we need to get an eternal perspective, a heavenly perspective. Because one day all of us are going to bear the image of the heavenly man and be Christ-like and with him forever. He's gone to build us a house, a dwelling place on the side of his father's house. Next week's scripture, Colossians 4, 5. I don't even know what that is. 
Colossians. Where's it at? Is it in the New Testament? It's uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Four, five. It's interesting because we're going to look at four. We're going to look at five and six, but five is walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Woohoo! That's a good verse. Because you know I have a hard time with this, and I want to study it, so I wanted to look at it. It's hard to walk with wisdom toward those who are outside, especially when so many say they're inside. And they really are still bearing the image of the earthly man. It's really hard to walk in wisdom toward those. Because you think you're talking to somebody who's spiritual. And you find out that they don't know nothing about the word of God. So they're still bearing the image of the earthly man. They haven't even begun to prepare themselves as a bride for Christ. Walk with wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Colossians 4, 5. What does 6 say? Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you want to answer each one. Yes. So we'll tie that in. I just didn't want to assign 5 and 6 because it's too much. Excuse me? What's salt seasoned with salt? A note in here that says salt equals wisdom. We'll talk about it next week. But salt, salt is many things. It's uh, salt is. They used to use salt to pay wages. They used to use salt to keep meat from putrefying. They they used to use salt. Uh, so we would use salt by lightly salting somebody. We we would we we go out and witness to them. And they don't completely become debased mind and run off because they're listening if the Spirit is working on them. And it can keep them and preserve them and keep them alive until... That's why you always use the gospel. People want to use psychologists and all this earthly, central, demonic wisdom. The hope and the answer is Jesus. It's the gospel. And you always want to season them with salt. Lightly salt some and give more salt to others. And, and um, what did your note say? I just have written in there, salt equals wisdom. Huh. It could be the wisdom of God, yeah. I've never heard it taught that way, but... Probably got it from you. <laughs> oh, you probably got it from me? It can be. I mean, like I said, if you're giving them the word of God, you're giving them the wisdom of God, so it can be salt. But we are the salt. We are the light. And so, and if people won't listen... If you're, if you're telling them the gospel and they won't listen, then it's on them. That's all I can say. But sometimes we need to be very um, discerning, being led by the Spirit. And Paul said, no, James says, on some have compassion and others save with fear, hating the garment defiled with the flesh. So we need to meet people where they're at, but challenge them with the Word of God to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Colossians 4, 5, and we'll also be looking at 6. Write it down, meditate on it, memorize at least 5. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're coming to take your church home. 
and one day soon. We can have that heavenly hope. We don't have to um, despair, but we can be steadfast and immovable, uh, always abounding in your work, the salvation of souls, knowing that our labor is not in vain when we work for you. And that, Lord, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, your son, Jesus. Thank you for these precious promises. Even so, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Pour out your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.